Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. I'm Robert Bucciolato. Robert, obviously, we've talked already about Claude Pepper and done an episode on him. One of the great legends of Florida politics and also legends of the, of the left in this country, of the New Deal left. Well, today we're going to talk about the other side of that 1950 U.S. Senate race, that 1950 Democratic Party, and talk about George Smathers, who served the state for 18 years in the United States Senate. And that's, of course, George Smathers, who represented the state in the U.S. Senate for couple facts about George Smathers. He was the captain of the UF basketball team in, in when he was in college at the University of Florida uh, before basketball was a popular sport, by the way, uh, nationally. And how do I know this? Well, I worked at, when I was in school at the University of Florida, I worked at WUFT, uh, the AM radio station that was the flagship station, or one of the, was the station that covered the Gators. Actually, the flagship station of the Gator Network was uh, an AM station in Jacksonville, not in Gainesville, even though the school's in Gainesville. But I worked at that station, was flipping through the materials one day, and said, oh my gosh, I know this guy, George Smathers. Smathers uh, went to Miami High and actually was friends with Cap Graham, who we've talked about before, Bob Graham's father, who was a fairly liberal uh, elected official from Dade County. Uh, Dade County was more liberal than the rest of the state. I think we've talked about that repeatedly on, on these shows, that it was uh, uh, still the South, but it was it was less Southern than the rest of Florida. And by the time Hubert Humphrey ran for president, by the time the 1960s ran around, uh, came around, uh, Miami-Dade County. Dade County was, in fact, like the North. So in my generation, the talk of freshman classes was the 1974 Watergate babies, Democrats, and 1994 Newt Gingrich revolutionary Republicans, Contract of America babies. And I think you could say maybe 2006 Democrats also uh, for, for generation a little younger than mine, maybe your generation, Robert. But Actually, one of the great freshman classes in the history of the United States House was the 1946 post-war generation of freshman congressmen. And in that class, you had Helen Gahagan Douglas, who would famously lose a U.S. Senate race to Richard Nixon that we'll talk about in a little bit. You had John F. Kennedy coming off his war hero status uh, just two years after his brother dies uh, in combat. You have Richard Nixon, who we know what he's going to go on to, and you have George Smathers, who becomes friendly with all of these people. Get Helen Gahagan Douglas reportedly had an, uh, had an affair with Lyndon Johnson, and uh, maybe, you know, again, Smathers became friendly with Johnson. So Smathers is one of the few individuals, maybe the only individual in the history of this country that's been close personal friends with three presidents. Really remarkable when you think about it. In 1950, George Smathers challenges liberal lion Claude Pepper, one of the most liberal members of the U.S. Senate from the right in the Democratic primary. Smathers is being bankrolled by Ed Ball and the DuPont family, as well as other industrialists, other corporate interests in the state of Florida. He upsets Pepper, so you have a liberal Democrat in the U.S. Senate replaced by a very conservative Democrat, a Democrat uh, in Claude Pepper that voted with Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal, voted for uh, Harry Truman's Fair Deal, and those programs voted against it. The uh, Taft-Hartley bill, uh, which President Truman vetoed, and uh, 
the Congress overrode his veto. And instead, you have a much more conservative Democrat, a Democrat that's going to vote with the conservative Republicans a lot more and vote with the conservative Democrats from the South a lot more than Pepper did. And at that time, there were a lot of liberal Republicans from the Northeast and the Midwest. So party affiliation didn't mean as much as ideology in those days in the U.S. Senate. Well, and, you know, uh, what's so interesting, you had mentioned the 46 uh, House. And what is what is so striking about that is that from basically right after Eisenhower, the next four or five presidents all got their start in that House. That's right, that 46 and election. That, yeah, and so as a result, they were all very chummy. And I mean, everybody from Kennedy to Ford knew each other, yeah. knew each other very well. Um, you know, the, uh, I'd, I'd say the one, the one person that didn't was, um, you know, Johnson elevated after 48 to the, to the Senate. But, uh, there was a lot of, of great friendships that were formed there specifically with Smathers and Kennedy. And I think, I think if anybody knows anything about Smathers, the two things they know about is that 50 election and the fact that he was best friends with John F. Kennedy. Yeah, uh, he's friendly with Kennedy, he's friendly with Nixon. That 1946 class was filled with ex-servicemen, people who had served in World War II. It was a similar election in a way to the 1945 post-war election in the United Kingdom, where labor under Clement Attlee ushered in socialism. The party in power during the war, the party that had won the war, the Tory party, the Conservative Party, defeated overwhelmingly. The 46 election, similarly, the party that had brought the United States through the war, the Democrats, crushed in the landslide congressional election, which brought in the do-nothing Congress that Harry Truman dubbed it, and uh, Truman then um, running strong in 48 against all the odds that not only wins, but then Congress flips back to the Democrats. Uh, But uh, let's talk about 1950, the um, U.S. Senate race. That race ran very much in tandem with the race between Richard Nixon and Helen Gahagan Douglas, who I mentioned earlier, who allegedly had an affair with Lyndon Johnson, uh, who was a very left-wing congresswoman. They called her the Pink Lady from, uh, or Nixon dubbed her the Pink Lady from Southern California, a very liberal uh, Democrat. That ran in tandem. I mean, two of the dirtiest elections ever in the history of the United States were the 1950 California U.S. Senate general election, which took place in November, and the U.S. Senate primary in Florida, which had taken place over the summer. And uh, the, the, the talking points, the model, the template George Smathers had put in place to attack Claude Pepper as a communist sympathizer was repeated in California by Richard Nixon. Um. It should be noted, and uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how much stock people are going to put into this. Uh, it was what Roger Mudd, the very famous news anchor, Roger Mudd, what he said was that um, Smathers was, was something of a wingman for John F. Kennedy. <laughs> they would, um, but up to and including the White House. Um, you know, they would they would go on the presidential yacht and the Secret Service would try very hard to, you know, protect the integrity of, of the members that were inside that uh, yacht. 
but it was always, according to to Mud, it was always a very long legged uh, Miami beauty that was coming on board always. And uh, in the flip side of that is the fact that Smathers was uh, on the wedding party uh, for Jackie and Kennedy's wedding, and he sm- he spoke at the rehearsal dinner and at the, the reception. So you know you got that that two little flip of the coin here, but they were they were very very close. And um, as a matter of fact, there was a story that John F. Kennedy used to like to talk about. Um, particularly when he became president, and that was that uh, he remembers telling Smathers that he was going to run for the U.S. Senate. And Smathers tells him, you know, no, no, you, you can't win, you can't win, you, you've only been in the House for, you know, a term or two, which uh, the irony was that that was exactly how long Smathers was. <laughs> he, says, he says, you can't do it, you can't win. And uh, Kennedy won. And so uh, then... Kennedy says to him, well, I'm going to run for president. And Smathers says, no, no, you can't. You can't want, you can't win. You can't win. There's no way. You're not going to win. And so uh, Kennedy got the nomination. And uh, Kennedy said he wasn't scared about whether he was going to win or lose the nomination on the floor because it was between him and Johnson. Until Smathers came to him and said, you know, it looks, it looks pretty good. I think you're going to win. That was, that was when Kennedy started going, oh, God, if he thinks I'm going to win, I must be losing. <laughs> Oddly enough, though, Robert, uh, Smathers played both sides uh, between LBJ and JFK in 1960. He had been Kennedy's best friend in the Senate. He had been the only member who wasn't part of Jackie's family or the Kennedy family to be part of the wedding party. Only member, I said, only person uh, to be part of the wedding party to JFK and Jackie's wedding. Yet, uh, he was very chummy with LBJ also. LBJ had been the majority leader of the U.S. Senate, arguably the most effective majority leader in the history of the United States Senate. Uh, that can be debated, but, but he's certainly up there. And so Smathers was very conveniently playing both sides, and, and depending which audience he was with, whether he was for Kennedy or whether he was for Johnson. And that continued right up until the convention in Los Angeles when LBJ and JFK are the two leading candidates for the nomination. Smathers is playing both sides. Now, of course, I think we now know that there was a very strong possibility, thanks to the influence of Bobby Kennedy and others, that George Smathers was going to replace Lyndon Johnson as John F. Kennedy's running mate in 1964. And this was before Florida was a significant state electorally, right? It was becoming one, but not quite at that point, although... Florida was a state that uh, the Republicans had flipped in the president in the in presidential politics before any other southern state. So it was uh, maybe a little bit important, but we do know that Smathers might have been on the ticket had JFK not been assassinated. We still have not had a Floridian or, or an actual former Florida elected official on a ticket. I guess Donald Trump in 2020 will count as a Floridian, but is not really a Floridian. And Richard Nixon certainly acted like a Floridian in 68 and 72 in both his nominating conventions we talked about in last week's show. We're in Miami Beach. We're going to get a little bit into Nixon and Smathers in a little bit and how Nixon became an adopted Floridian. But he wasn't really a Floridian either. So we still haven't had a Floridian on the national ticket, yet we were very close in 1964 perhaps to having one. 
Yeah, it was um, it was between Smathers and uh, Carl Sanders of Georgia. Right. Those were the those were the two, and uh, Smathers was. I'm, I'm certain he would have been picked. Um, one one interesting thing though about uh, that dynamic is that um, specifically when it relates to the convention, Smathers used the fact that he was um, a part of a favorite son candidacy in Florida. That was back in the time. That's where right. That's right. That was back in the time where, you know, it, that was pretty common that if you were a senator or a congressman from a, a populous state, that they would uh, try and, and make you get the nomination. And so he used that as sort of cover to zigzag between Johnson and Kennedy. And then um, he, you know, very stealthily um, – as soon as Johnson was president, catered to Johnson's whims and his ego and uh, tried to to make sure that the fact that he was going to replace Johnson would not get in the way of his working relationship with Johnson. And he he carried a lot of water for Johnson in the Senate. Yes, he did. I'm just going to get to that. So... uh Smathers was part of the filibuster, the record filibuster uh, of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which LBJ, uh, with his floral leader Hubert Humphrey, finally broke and signed the Civil Rights Bill, the famous uh, landmark 1964 Civil Rights Bill. Uh, LBJ's majority leader had ushered through the 1957 and 1960 Civil Rights Acts, albeit watered down uh, by amendments and, and by a little bit of his horse trading with his friends in the South. Smathers voted against both those bills. However, when it came to 1965, Smathers did his duty as a Southerner and as a Floridian at the time, a white Floridian, voting against the Voting Rights Act on the Senate floor. But behind the scenes was involved in persuading some Florida congressmen who had voted in the past against every civil rights bill, including Charlie Bennett, uh, the famous Mr. Bennett from Jacksonville, one of the great uh, supporters of the military and, and, and men and women in uniform in, in the recent history of the Congress. Uh, Ch- Charlie Bennett to vote for that bill in the House. And once uh, the bill from the House, the bill came back to the Senate and looked more like the House bill, Smathers surprised everybody by voting for it and giving LBJ that vote, an important vote, Voting Rights Act going uh, being passed right at the time of Selma. And we've talked previously about the important role Leroy Collins played, former Governor Leroy Collins, liberal Leroy, right? The more liberal Leroy Collins, certainly much more liberal than Smathers played. In that, Medicare, George Smathers played a very important role in helping LBJ get Medicare through the U.S. Senate. And on any number of other great society programs, Smathers begins to move to the left. It's his final term. His friend is in the White House pushing a very liberal agenda, uh, an agenda that, quite frankly, the Democratic Party has turned its back on, in my opinion, in the last uh, 20 years or so since Bill Clinton's presidency. Very, very left-wing agenda uh, on economic issues. And George Smathers carried a lot of water for President Johnson, uh, changed uh, his ideology in that final term. But Smathers, of course, 
wasn't terribly ideological. He votes more to the left because of LBJ being president, being a liberal. Uh, now, he, he, he retires from the Senate in 1968. There was talk of him coming uh, running for another term because of his, uh, uh, his dislike or, or just, I think, ideological dislike of Leroy Collins who we've talked about on a previous show and, and the Democrats, the conservative Democrats, when Smathers retired, had tried to take Leroy Collins out of the primary with Faircloth. Smathers himself considers unretiring and taking taking out Collins in the primary. Uh, he, Collins gets the nomination and all these Democrats turn on him. Who knows how Smathers himself voted? He may have voted for Ed Gurney too, for all we know. Anyway, Smathers is buddies with Richard Nixon, as we talked about, 1946 class. So Smathers is also becoming a lobbyist and, and a corporate person again, so he shifts back to the right. But his personal friendship with Nixon brought him right front and center uh, with the president, whom he introduced famously, Robert, to Bebe Rebozo, and who he sold his property on Key Biscayne to. So... The White House, the, the little White House, whatever you call it, the Florida White House in Miami, in Key Biscayne, was actually George Smathers' property that got sold to Richard Nixon. So Smathers, Robert, is heavily involved with Nixon, and in 72, even though privately he wasn't, uh, publicly, excuse me, he wasn't publicly a Nixon backer, everyone kind of knew he was, he was twisting the arms of Florida Democrats, and Democrats for Nixon becomes a thing in Florida. And there were a lot of elected officials, starting with the mayor of Miami, David Kennedy, who was close to Smathers, that publicly endorsed Richard Nixon, and were publicly big parts of this national group, Democrats for Nixon. So that's Smathers again in 72, even though, even out of office, making a huge impact. You know, and you don't want to kind of go down the the rabbit hole of uh, you know Nixon and Rebozo because um, it 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 gets a little murky. Um, one of the things that I, I will state is is that um, the commonality that Nixon and Smathers and and Kennedy had was that they were cold warriors. They were. Uh, hell-bent on transforming Cuba from a communist state back to its uh, pre-revolution state that was uh, friendly to all manner of industry, including, um, and in particular, organized crime. Um, I know a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but uh, and they even showed it in The Irishman uh, recently, which yes. is a great film. Yep. Um, organized crime was a, a great sort of uh, merchant force for these people that were trying to liberate Cuba. And uh, Smathers, I think he, he did a lot to introduce Kennedy. I mean... Uh, and, to introduce Nixon to these types of people. Um, there Probably introduced Kennedy to them also, quite honestly. Yes, yes. Um, but there was, a, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of animosity with these people after Kennedy won because they, they had felt that if Nixon had won, that Nixon would have killed Castro. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, I'll even jump in here for a second, Robert, and, and say that in the Oliver Stone film, Nixon, which came out in the mid-90s, he has a, 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 a composite character that's a Cuban, a Cuban refugee, that says at a meeting with Nixon, with Larry Hagman playing this, this fake oil guy, but kind of based on H.L. Hunt, that... We know what you did for Cuba, and we know if you had become president instead of Kennedy, Castro would be dead. And that was the way a lot of Cuban exiles felt. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, again, you know, it, you know, this is history that we're we're trying to talk to. Um, you know, we don't we don't want to dive too much into you know the Roger Mudd accounts of history, but um, and it it is it's murky. It's a murky territory because you don't know. Some of this stuff is still unknown. Um, one of the jokes growing up in South Florida that you know people used to say, you don't know how many storage units in South Florida are still carrying supplies from the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> yes. um, you know, it, it, and who knows? But um, it was uh, it was definitely something that uh, our government was working tantamount with freedom fighters and was getting a lot of funding through organized crime. Richard Nixon uh, always struggled to find his footing in life. He always tried to struggle to, to find his circle and his community. And as you mentioned, Smathers introduced him to Florida. He bought Smathers' his home, but at the same time, Smathers was a very useful connection to uh, Richard Nixon when it related to Florida. And at the same time, um, he was a, a big part of the, uh, the Southern strategy that Republicans had. And you, you saw this uh, very odd uh, correlation between Southern Democrats turning into Southern Republicans and the trajectory of Smathers' own political ideology, because he retired from the Senate in the nineteen uh, after the nineteen sixty eight election, which we talked about. But he was still very active in business. He was still very active in politics, and he uh, definitely turns further towards the Republican Party for the remainder of his life. Yeah. Yeah, he's a lobbyist at this point and aligned with Republican interests. His son, Bruce Smathers, has become Secretary of State and was extremely conservative. Was a Democrat, but was extremely conservative. And I want to say was probably one of many Democrats. I mean, I couldn't even keep track of the former Democratic elected officials that supported Jeb Bush in 1998 against Buddy McKay because once they were confronted with a Republican that might win, statewide against a liberal Democrat, which Buddy McKay was, they went with the Republicans. So I, 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 if I recall correctly, Bruce Smathers did endorse Jeb Bush. I'm not 100% sure on that. Anyway, I, I think Smathers maybe gets a bad reputation in history because of um, his reputation as JFK's wingman, as you talked about earlier in the show, and then, of course, the 1950 election. And Claude Pepper is a figure that has been lionized in the history of this state, the political history of this state, and certainly, I think, political history nationally. Nobody annoyed Ronald Reagan more than Claude Pepper. And he was a he was an important figure in the 1930s and an important figure in the 1980s, one of the, the real legends of, certainly of 
liberal politics, left-wing politics in this country in the last hundred years. So I think maybe Smathers has been underrated or, or gotten a bad rap because he beat Pepper and he beat him in the way he did. So we tried to kind of talk about the good and the bad here today and, and balance it out. Smathers wasn't all bad. Uh, yeah, he was maybe a li- little bit of an empty suit, but certainly a lightweight, certainly nowhere near uh, the caliber of a Claude Pepper. But it wasn't all bad, and he did some important things and some good things for the state of Florida. Sure, and you know, and and I I do think, and I know you're probably aware of it too, that um, we try very very hard to be friendly on this show, and to uh, you know to not to not blush too much when we talk about our heroes, and uh, Pepper was certainly one of our heroes. Um, the the differences in legislation between these two men um, who are always going to be interwoven with one another after 1950 is striking. Um, the the level of output that we as a nation received from Pepper is, uh, I mean. Smathers' record is a pale ghost to it. However, um, the level of influence that Smathers enjoyed from the U.S. presidency, I mean, you know, Harry Truman was the one that convinced him to run. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want, so, I want um, you to beat that uh, SOB uh, Pepper. Yeah. Right. I think that's so, what he said. He called him into the White House and this is... Yeah, this is the second term congressman from Florida, basically a lightweight, scared, going to the White House. Why does the president want to see me? It's because he wanted him to beat that SOB Claude Pepper. Pepper being as liberal as he was, kind of... You know, like a Bernie Sanders today, Henry Wallace in that era, just annoyed most people in the political establishment. I, I don't think it was until he was in the U.S. House and the Democrats needed someone of his stature and his caliber to push back on Republican presidents, Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, that Pepper became appreciated by the establishment of his own party. But he had always been a legend of the political left. And the Americans for Democratic Action, those sorts of groups were, in fact, I think Pepper was one of the founders of the 80s, alongside the likes of Eleanor Roosevelt. So anyway, Robert. I mean, it was um, the, the amount of influence and exposure that he had was in itself groundbreaking. Um, he, so no, he didn't. He did not contribute in terms of legislation, but um, Florida did benefit from his influence and, and his presence in that office. Um, in the long run, I I think he probably did as as well as he could in that role, in that time period, in that body, and in that state. Um, He was not a risk taker. Uh, He has been rewarded by history, the amount that he has because of that fact, because he was not a risk taker, because he was not somebody that that made a lot of waves. He was somebody that, that gave in to his party's policy in the Senate of compliance. And uh, it was a a quality that uh, Kennedy shared as well. 
And I, I think it's very important that we we admire and we revere and we emulate people that are guiding lights throughout history. Uh, Kennedy is one of them. But at the same time, it's always important to remember that these are individuals. They are mortals. They have feet of clay. And in the case of Kennedy and Smathers, they they didn't contribute to the level that their fandom would have liked to have seen them. Yeah, Robert, I, that's very well put. I think uh, there has been a reverence for the Kennedy family that transcends generations of Democrats in particular and, and people who follow politics, but some of that's dying out now. I mean, you know, his his vision of America is a very positive vision. Yes. It's a it's a very important vision to have and his ability uh, as a as a US president as a very young US president um, in a time of you know where there there was no uh, great hurdles to jump over in the sense there was no world war there was no economic uncertainty there was the cold war there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, but uh, even apart from that, his ability to resonate with the American people in, in such a great volume daily um, should be commended. But as you, and I mean, we've talked about this time and time again, you know, famously, the the new frontier, which is what Kennedy was, was spouting, when you get right down to it, it's speeches and platitudes. The great society, which is what Lyndon Maine Johnson fought for and what Smathers worked towards, is the reality. And it's always important to to make that distinction. Yeah, certainly Robert History has changed its analysis of Lyndon Johnson and now progressives embrace the great society and the Johnson domestic agenda as something they want to bring back and, and they, they want to hold on to any vestige of it. So times certainly have changed. We will be back with you next week with another new edition of the Florida History Podcast.